and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. Uh, what a busy week of the World Cup it's been. Uh, I'm Sam Hyde. I'm joined by Toby Puisavere. Hello, hello, Sam. It's been a week of shocks. There's been so much going on in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Uh, most shocking of all, England went out 2-1 to France. Toby, what did you think of this game? Hello, Sam. Yes, I've been thoroughly enjoying the World Cup. Uh, it's still it's still going on, although I suppose maybe now maybe now it's over for for many of us. Uh, will we even be following anymore? Who knows? Of course, we will be. Um, yeah, I mean, the biggest shock of all, I suppose, right? England England going out to uh, a team better than them. I suppose the only shock there was that. We actually looked like we played well and and potentially dominated, you know, dominated the game. You could say. Uh, yeah, so England did look quite good, which I suppose was the surprising bit when you consider the last two years, at least, of England under Southgate. Uh, and even if you are a, a Southgate naysayer, you would say that England did have very good moments. Uh, throughout the game, particularly that um, start of the second half. And uh, obviously Harry Kane misses a second penalty. Um, could have been different if it had gone in. You never know with extra time and penalties. But there there was that chance of, of hope at the end. Um, what did you think of, I guess, Harry Kane? Okay, of Harry Kane, I think it's tough. I, th- I think it's... It's tough because second penalty in the same game is always an extra dynamic. The keeper, you know, you've sent in the wrong way the first time. The the game of poker, the bluffing, you know, is taken up to another level. On top of that, add in the fact that Hugo Lloris is his uh, teammate at Spurs. So, you know, there's going to be familiarity with sort of penalty-taking routines anyway. He's obviously thought, Right, I've got to do something a bit different. Lift it, whatever. Uh, I don't. Anyone saying, "Oh, why is he? Why is he tried to lift it?" Um, you know, I think that's a ridiculous thing to say. I think it's fair enough. I think Kane is such a good penalty taker that lifting the ball into sort of, you know, the higher end of the net, so it's harder for the keeper to reach, is is a fair decision to make. Especially if you think, right, I've gone one side already. He knows my preferred side. It, it's probably easier to just try and lift it to a place that's kind of unsavable rather than go and and play that game of poker of like what side am I going down um, second penalty in a game and also teammate as we said um, so uh, look it's understandable it's frustrating because of how good he is at pens and for a while a lot of his England goals have just been pens let's be completely honest yeah, especially the golden boot wasn't it so it it makes it quite tough to take in that sense but I do also think it was kind of the perfect game for a lot of people involved for for Dishon and France he's someone who is very risk averse anyway we talk about Southgate and and like playing that five at the back and not playing his attacking players and wasting this golden generation but realistically 
that same conversation is had in in France. You know, with with Didier Deschamps, he is someone who's risk averse. He loves a a Rabiot kind of player. You know what I mean? Even though he didn't, he wasn't going to start him last World Cup. That's only because of the, you know, the the talent on display that they had. They've obviously got injuries now, and and Rabiot's in the team. But I still can't help but feeling like Rabiot is the kind of central midfielder that he likes that that calming presence, that one who who brings in control and steadies the ship and and can be relied upon sort of off the ball. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting that you mentioned Rabio because I think if Rabio doesn't get into the team of the World Cup at the moment, I think it would be a robbery. Like, uh, Obviously, he wasn't supposed to start. I suppose it would have been Pogba in his his sort of role, but uh, every game I've seen from Rabio, uh, and you look at his stats as well, I've seen uh, in his games, they popped up stats in the live match saying that he's top for turnovers or he's top for interceptions and by a really significant amount and so um it just he's getting incredibly involved in the middle of the pitch as well as making these um these runs forward from the eight position and doing uh these attacks like there's a couple of moments again where you'll see that rabio is um almost getting like a one-on-one or some sort of big chance uh and then for the rest of the game, like he's not some like incredible passer, but um, I've just thought his decision making has been been really good as well in in how like uh, he's sort of facilitating the the better players around him, you know, Mbappe and Griezmann mostly to to work around him. Absolutely, completely agree. I think he's kind of the perfect international player. You know, he's the kind of it's it's. It's about tempo, it's about picking your moments, it's about scoring at the right times. And th- this is something where as good as as good as good England were, it did feel like France always had another gear and France always had England where they wanted them, right? They always, they, you're 1-0 up and you're sitting in, I mean, I think they ended the game with 43% possession, but that's if you've got Kylian Mbappe, the like, greatest transitional threat in football... Um, that's absolutely fine. You're, you're, you know, you don't need to pin the team back and dominate the ball and control. It. If you've got like players like Chouameni and Rabiot in midfield that are going to be disciplined, okay, Chouameni has the lapse with the penalty that he gives away, but he's a young, he's a young player in general. You know, he, he's he's good off the ball. Rabiot, you know, fantastic as well. And just at sort of like interpreting the 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 less quantifiable things in in a football match, right? And that's tempo of a match that's the you know interpreting space and that's the space to exploit and also the space that needs to be defended uh and um doing doing the simple but neat and tidy to sort of allow others to flourish i think the whole a lot was made of mbappe versus walker and everything like this in the build-up but it's only you can only have that direct battle because Rabiot is is you know the facilitator of uh, the gaps that are left, it's it's okay because he's there to screen, he's there to protect and cover, and um, and reads the game very well. Uh, having said that, I think if you put him in club football, he's not going to do anything that is going to stand out or make him, you know, a world beater or anything like that. But in international football, he is an essential part of of a team. Um, yeah. I suppose you can always come back to the the Liverpool midfield as well of 
of players like John Henderson and Wijnaldum. Sorry, just to jump in there, even Thiago is like a stylish version, right? He can do the the tricks and he can he can play the pass with different parts of the foot and he can turn on the ball in in flashier ways. But essentially, when you when you break it down to to the to the bones of, of the, his role in the midfield. It is setting the tempo, it's dictating when we're going to let the opposition sit back into a, str- into a deep shape, you know, and not, and not go for the, like, jugular if you want immediately when we've won the ball, but actually dominate and control the ball and force a team back and then break them down. But, but it's forcing a team back into an area where when they win it, they're suffocated and can't get out, right? And although Rabiot wasn't doing that for France in in this particular game because England did dominate it was the, he did the job that needed to be done when you're one nil up you know early on so there's been a lot of praise for England's performance uh, you'd say it's probably one of the better performances that England have had under Southgate uh, there's been bigger moments under Southgate where we've gone through but um, in terms of how the team have played against a very good France side uh, the England did did do very well for a lot of the game and uh, whether it was um, France deliberately laying off a little bit in the second half I'm not sure but um, yeah England played well but at the same time they they lost their two biggest chances were from penalties that were massive massive errors from France like brainless errors really and apart from that there was a Maguire header and a Bellingham long shot uh, does, uh, do you feel like that there could be more from this England side there could be a, a team that one day we could take a, a team on like France and win I, I think there is I think there's a lot of positives to take right probably from the world cup as a whole i think some people are getting maybe a little too carried away with just losing to a good france team i think it's it was a good performance but it was a good performance because it had to be a good performance because you go one nil down so early i i was happy we played a back four but in reality in lots of phases of the game we were in, you know, Walker was tucked in alongside the centre-backs and, and not pushing on at all. So, look, that's not a criticism of Southgate. That's just that's just smart. Um, and it does make sense. You're against the greatest, you know, weapon in, in counter-attacking football in that game in Mbappe. You have to have some sort of plan for it. But Saka was getting success. I do feel like if you could get more bodies around Saka, overlapping Saka, you know, can you then, can you then get even more? Um, but that's, that's something that we'll never know. And also, you know, on the flip side of that, if you, if you do push Walker forwards, maybe on a few more occasions, you know, do we just get torn apart on, on the break, which was always going to the threat and, you know, it is a real issue that you can't just, you know, neglect or anything like that. Um, in terms of what this England team can do, there's it's a tough question. It's a tough question because ultimately knockout football is just incredibly difficult. 
the clearest path we had to going and winning something has probably been. That doesn't mean we, you know, in, in previous tournaments, that doesn't mean we can't go and do something, but everything has to fall the right way. And it's quite rare for that to happen. In terms of the actual performance, the performance was good, but I don't know how carried away we should get. In in turn, yeah, I don't know how carried away we should get. Uh, I'm a little bit sceptical of it. I think we did well, but we had to do well because we were one nil down early. Yes, okay, not from a a, a a period of possession where they went and broke us down and 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 showed a pattern that they could repeatedly go and go and do and score plenty of goals in that method. However, um. It's not. It's not an outrageous goal from Chuameni either to open the scoring. Um, you know, it is just us losing the ball and high up the pitch. Okay, there's questions of if there's a foul in there or not, but um, ultimately it's not given, and we then have opportunities to stop the goal at a later date, and we don't. The midfield, you know, we get sucked very deep, and then when we get back out to many, it's not done quick enough, and it's kind of like, does Bellingham go, or does Henderson go, and neither of them really go. They both sort of half go, and neither of them actually get there. Yeah, I know it's a lot of English pundits and commentators uh, are covering the game, but that Saka foul did get an awful lot of coverage, and then that bleeds into Twitter. Uh, I there, There's... I don't think it's worth talking about a, a lot of these things because um, a lot of the fouls like that were um, were minor, minor incidents to say the least. Um, I think on 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 merit, I think France did seem to have a lot of control apart from that little section. I think I think a big thing here is as well that you don't need to have the ball to have control and. You know, did we actually pose big threats in the game? No. The two penalties that we earned are either of them actually leading to even a, a clear a clear chance? No. Um, I think there's a big Southgate loving, and I think he has done a good job, and he did his team did perform well against good opposition. But do we need to get too carried away? Like, would I be devastated if he left? No. Am I? Would I be happy if he stayed? I, I wouldn't mind if he stayed, to be honest, because but more because I don't know who else you bring in. And he has got England to a status where we go deep into international competition, major international competitions regularly. So it would be unfair to then start. You know, there doesn't need to be some big inquest. There doesn't need to be anything like that. We got beaten by a better team, but you're right. It's there's no point worrying about the refs and all of this because. The ref was missing things for it. It wasn't a good refing performance, in my opinion, but I don't think it was a particularly biased refing performance. I don't think it was, you know, I think I think it was bad on both accounts. Okay, England might have maybe more to to complain about and things, but it was probably poor on both accounts. Yeah, and I I was quite disappointed with uh, a lot of the commentators and um, pundits. I think it was it was mostly Gary Neville to be honest in the studio, but. Um, both the commentators, Sam Matterface and uh, it was it was Lee Dixon, I think, were um, talking an awful lot about the ref and saying kind of um, 
not outright saying that they disagreed with the ref, but codifying it, saying things like Southgate will be enraged by the decision going against him. And I think that there was a lot of sort of euphemisms where they were talking about themselves, but in a commentator's way. And uh, yeah, it was just a bit much. And at the same time, there was one moment where it's not a penalty, just to say, but um, Giroud gets these two hands in the back from Luke Shaw and goes down looking for a penalty. And the commentators are deadly silent. There's the, the replays and they do not say a single word. And for every, you know, foul in the midfield, which went against an England player, it was a, a big event. So, uh, yeah, I think that led into a lot of the Twitter discourse that we saw afterwards, uh, which was a bit of a shame. Yeah, and, and I think it, I think also it's normal, right? It's it's normal. It's a hugely high pressure moment. Everything's building up to this, you know. Lee Dixon, Gary Neville, they're all fans as much as their their commentators. Everything else, I think they can separate them from themselves from. Well, I say everything else, nothing to do with Manchester United and Gary Neville. But most things they can sort of separate themselves from and 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 you know commentate on in a fairly even way, you know, to a degree that's that's quite respectable. This is a it's a huge quarterfinal. You know that if you beat France, you play in Morocco next, and you're you know you've got a great shot of winning the World Cup. And I understand that it's tough, but it was just a bit ridiculous at times. The ref, I don't think he was a good ref. I don't think it was as it, it, yeah. They created a scapegoat as the game was going on, you know. So yeah. All, all talk afterwards was only fr- uh, England have done brilliantly and dominated the game and the rest of it was the anything else was just well the ref the ref didn't do this ref didn't do that the ref gave us two pence okay he had to go back and review them but he did review them and then give them you know it, what he's going to give us three pens give us four pens how many like <laughs> and if we need four pens to win a game yeah. I don't think you're the world champions but Exactly. I, England could have made more more chances, but there's gonna there would would have been an awful lot of people that don't watch football uh, in England and were watching that game. Uh, you know, people that only watch England when they do well and not knowing the game and hearing commentators go on so much about decisions, particularly uh, only against one team. Uh, I didn't like it, but. Uh, in terms of if Southgate would leave, there's been a lot of talk about Southgate um, making that decision himself now. Uh, I think he's had three tournaments, which is a really, it's a good run, isn't it? Uh, I saw the records of various different England managers and Southgate is slightly worse than Sven was at, at World Cups. Um, he's got certainly more losses than Sven had in about the same amount of games um, and slightly fewer wins I think it was um, but he has taken us deeper into tournaments right for sure yeah but then like a percentage of like of I don't know percentage of depth into tournament <laughs> I might have to check that but you know in terms of that that standpoint yeah but, but that's very hard to judge against other people right the, the fact is, we haven't beaten a team who were, who were perceived on paper as being better than exactly, us. Exactly, because we we lost to Croatia and, and Belgium at the World Cup, didn't we? And then it was losing to Italy, and uh, we didn't even beat uh, 
Colombia on the way that went to penalties. And and this is a this is a guy who plays a style who, you know specifically to beat teams that are better than you. Like that's that's the mod that's the brand of football that he plays. It's it's un it's unglamorous. You know it's not it's not uh, committing heavily in attack. It's pragmatic and it's cautious and that's fine that's that's the trend of most international football and especially knockout competitions it makes sense but um you know when your whole model is around that and then you're not beating the top teams like on on three separate occasions we've not gone we've not got to well I, i don't know it's hard it's hard because in the first two in the euros and in the world cup we we went out to teams that you know you would have expected us to be better than um, it's like we talked about last week with the sample size and things it's so small that you say that oh we should have beaten Croatia but then Croatia you know back in the semi-final so you know I think we still probably should beat Croatia but all of a sudden they become you know in the past 10 years a, a, a huge team in, in in international football on on the Southgate front he's done well there's no doubts he's done well. If he leaves, his time would be his time as England manager would be well well remembered. You know, without having won anything, I think it would be he'd be seen as the guy who brought together a talented group to then for then someone else more tactically astute to go and build on. Okay, I think if he leaves now, that's as long as you make the right appointment, that's how his sort of legacy is is remembered, and it could be seen as sort of the foundation of something very special. If he stays, he could, he could, you know, he could do well in the future. He's proven that he can take the England team far in comp- in, in major competitions. So there's no reason why he can't keep doing that. But are you going to win something with him? I think everything has to, the, the stars have to align. And with other managers, this, maybe not all of the stars have to align. Just about Southgate's replacement as well. I've seen a, a lot of people... Uh, including Jamie Carragher saying that the next England manager has to be English, and I think you just point to the lionesses, Serena Weigman. Enough said, really. Yeah, but I don't. Dis- I kind of don't disagree with that, you know. Really. Well, I think I used to disagree with that and think that I think that it could just be anyone. But I think in maybe in like a cultural sense, in like a, they were or or you have to get someone. Okay, maybe it doesn't have to be English, but they have to have a good understanding and probably spent quite a long time in the country. Fabio Capello, you know, that wasn't a, a smart. Everyone just hates him, though. Is the thing everyone hated Capello so much that they don't want anyone English since. <laughs> Yeah, but I still isn't there. I I don't know the exact stat, but I'm pretty sure no one's gone further than like a semi final, or no one's won it when they haven't had their own. No, no one has um, won the World Cup with a foreign manager. With a with a foreign Correct. manager, right? But I also feel like there's a little bit of. It's only recently that clubs have started to do this more commonly. I feel like I feel like if you go back twenty years ago, there'd be a lot fewer. Surely we have, I I do see though where if you're having, you know, the pinnacle of English football, surely you can produce a coach who is English 
who has come through the system, whatever system that may be, whether they've been a player first or whether they've been a man, like they 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 haven't really been a player, and it's more like an Eddie Howe, Graham Potter mould, you know. And they, I I just, or if it's an ex-pro who who isn't tactically brilliant, but you know what, the players buy into and respect, and you know I think there is a, I think international football is just so different, and I think. Who who would you have, Sam? Who would you have instead of Southgate? Who isn't oh, English? Go on, let's have uh, Mourinho, shall we? Okay, but that that I wouldn't mind. But he spent so many years in England, and he he knows half the players already. It feels like. Yeah, I think it'd be maybe that's a bad thing. I think though. it'd be fun, but in the same way that I was quite excited to see Sam Allardyce manage England, and then he didn't. I mean, not the same way. Obviously, Mourinho is uh, a very successful manager. I like that Sam Allardyce and Jose Mourinho. Your same ideas are fun. I think I think Mourinho would tick a lot of the Southgate boxes, but in a more uh, advanced way, tactically. Yeah, there'd be some good housery in there as well that can see you get through. You know, knockout competition, no doubt. Um, I, I can see that. Apparently, Portugal have gone for him though. Well, okay, that's a shame because yeah, he... apparently Portugal want him alongside his his. They want him to do both club. Uh, you know, they they're saying he can carry on with his club. I don't know. I just saw that on Twitter earlier. But if it's on Twitter, it must be true. It might be true. So, um, it must be true. <laughs> so I was just checking that um, foreign managers at World Cup statistic, by the way. Right. Um, and so. Brazil have never had a foreign manager. Germany, I don't think have had a foreign manager. No, they've got some some old flags that I won't mention. Argentina haven't had a foreign manager since '34. It's the same for France. Italy haven't had a foreign manager since '54. So I think the problem is is that there's not really a sample size for these um, these successful nations historically that have. Um, had tournaments with foreign managers. You know, England have only had Sven and Capello that are foreign managers. So uh, it's kind of like new ground, really. Yeah, but then look at who's in the semi-final this year. Let's. Well, I'm just thinking Croatia. They've got a Croatian manager, right? Morocco, uh, you know, are doing fantastically well, and they've got a Morocco a Moroccan manager. Um, Argentina with an Argentinian manager, France with a French manager. I'm not saying that that's it's the exact correlation, um, and uh, well, you know, you're definitely going to do better. But I and, and I and I appreciate that it's tough to judge when the sort of footballing powerhouses who are often winning World Cups have are the ones who don't have foreign managers. Like, of course, there's not going to be a foreign manager who's gone and won it. But even the shocks of the tournament who have gone through. Um, further than, than than you'd expect, have got you know managers of their of their nation. But I think it's the same for all of them. Croatia have never had a foreign manager. I think I think there's this reluctance for for international teams to try it a lot of the time, unless unless you're much smaller and there isn't quite the the talent pool. I don't know who I would go for in England, to be fair, because you look at... I don't think I'd go Graham Potter. Well, Graham Potter's not going to take it, first thing. I, I probably would go Graham Potter, but it, it's it's not the right time or anything. And also, international management, you don't get much time with the players. He Would his brand of football work if he's quite intricate with his like 
roles rather than formations and, and the way he builds with certain patterns and things is that going to work is that going to translate well if you don't have much time on the trading pitch I, I don't know um, and then with Eddie Howe it's it, it, he's I, not going to leave is it? I mean Eddie Howe could, could surely do a good job Eddie Howe would be brilliant I think I, I wanted Eddie Howe for England I wanted Eddie Howe at Arsenal when that was heavily rumoured after Wenger uh, I think he's a, a really good manager uh you know like that Bournemouth team that he brought up from out of nowhere was was amazing but he's he's not going to leave this Newcastle project with with how that's going so um no absolutely but they could outgrow him and that's then true there's a bit of time for England to decide now like you don't have to jump into anything I think I think there's a, a risk of getting stuck with Southgate and before you know it all of these amazing young players that England have produced through through the good work of the FA with their investments I think there could be regrets just as we've had with with previous England teams that's my worry yeah if you act too late the ship could sail anyway I think that's enough about England and Southgate and all of that nonsense hey well I suppose it's only right to talk about, well, I mean, Brazil going out. So so I, I heard about the penalties. Obviously, there's the Neymar discussion, the ego, supposedly, on the fifth penalty. Ultimately, on that one, if it works, nobody's talking about it and everyone says that's why you have him on there. If it doesn't work, as it didn't, we have the discussion that we're, you know, we've seen everywhere instead, which is, oh, he just wanted all the glory to take the last penalty. Um, where do you stand on on that? You're quite a stats man, Sam. You're quite a you know. We'll go we'll go into this first, then we'll go into the rest of the game. But first off, the big talking point: Neymar going last doesn't get to take it. You're a man who who I feel like would like this kind of thing. You know, get your best penalty taker on the fifth oh, one. Oh God! Well, you, you've read me exactly right. You, you called me the stats man. I don't have any stats about this, but um, I I do when I play FM or things like this. Uh, Always put your best taker on last. In FM, it doesn't even matter. Cause I knew this would be you. It, it doesn't even matter in FM because it's not. There's none of the real psychology. But I think uh, I think the last <laughs> penalty is so important. Like the first and last, pretty much are, are the important ones. And it gets to that point, like we saw when England got knocked out at the Euros, where they had no one to take the fifth penalty. You've got 19-year-old Bukayo Saka never taken a penalty for Arsenal goes up to take the penalty and he doesn't take it well and it doesn't go in and then you've got all this all this chaos around Saka and all this pressure on someone who shouldn't really be in that situation like it's an alien situation to to have all this pressure on something that you're not even supposed to be a specialist at and I think taking someone like Neymar who is uh, such a figurehead for Brazil and good at penalties. Uh, putting it last, I feel like it would give a an emotional boost to everyone before them who takes the penalties for Brazil. You've got your banker. Because... You've got your one in the back pocket. You know that yeah, you've just got to be in with a shout on the fifth penalty, and you 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 believe in him, right? Yeah, this is exactly what I feel in FM because I think oh, even if I miss one, and say I miss the third penalty, I think well, the fifth one is more than likely going to be scored anyway. So um, if 
if you know that the other team has taken their good penalty takers before, then it's like the odds are sort of weighing in your favour more for the last one. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, look, the logic is definitely there. I remember reading somewhere that the first and the fourth are sort of the most high-pressure ones. But then I think, you know, what you're talking about is something that's different to just high-pressure scenarios. If, if you're, if you've got that potential boost of other people's performance because they've got that banker behind them or the, or the one that they're like, it's okay, I've got, you know, Neymar after me, for example. Then that's not so much. You know, it's not about which penalty is the high pressure. Obviously, the fifth one is always going to be high pressure one if it reaches that stage. Um, I do think more penalties are decided before then, to be honest. Than than I, I can't remember the stats though, so I could just be um, talking total nonsense. But I do remember at some point seeing uh, that the first and the fourth are very high pressure um, because it's often decided on the fourth, and also the first one obviously is high pressure to set set the tone um, but it is a, a risk though isn't it that it would be over but if if you're at the point where you're going out before your fifth even has to take then it's like the other penalty takers have done not good enough anyway like do you know what i mean even if even if the last one was to score yeah yeah no there's obviously been some errors already it's like the yeah if it's reached that situation mistakes have already been made that's probably not the biggest mistake, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, in terms of the actual game, though, I thought first I think Croatia are, uh, are just fantastically frustrating or f- frustratingly fantastic. I'm not sure which way round. Obviously, the Modric, you know, Kovacic, Brozovic midfield three. It was Modric, Kovacic, Rakitic in earlier sort of incarnations in this in this Croatian super era um I just that there's technical proficiency across the whole pitch though um and yeah they're they're, they're fantastic they're fantastic it's it I, that first half because I watched the first half I was working and didn't see the second half I managed to get the, like the first half off basically and just spend the whole time watching watching the game and um, it's the simple passes that they take that go nowhere but just kill a team's chance of mounting pressure on on the on the ball carrier is is what I think is is brilliant they move the ball so well so um, with, with so much disguise that just when you think you've got them you know Modric is just flashing an outside of foot pass across the defence and it's gone from one side of the pitch out to the left back who's now got all the time in the world the press has been not broken in a manner that's going to let them go and, and, and sort of attack an exposed shape but it just it just breaks the pressure in a way that must be so demoralising for the opposition where you think you've got them and they just you, you know you think you think that the net's closing in and it just never does they always find holes in the net I think is what I would say on that midfield. Um, yeah, so I will say I also didn't watch this game because I was cleaning a <laughs> fridge freezer with my flatmate, which was pretty fun. But uh, I have got a stat for you. Uh, I would also, also I'll just say actually that it's impressive how well Croatia are doing without Rakitic. I, I thought they would drop off a lot, but uh, apparently not. So 
Uh, I'm just going to go through a few players. And this was from before the quarterfinal. And it's about the most touches in the opposition box. Okay, hit me. Um, so there's an honourable mention to Gabriel Martinelli, who is in eighth. Eighth most touches in the opposition box uh, before the quarterfinals. He only played an average of about 40 minutes per game. And he got 15 touches in the box. Uh, you know, obviously he's done really well to even get called up in the squad. But um, would have been nice, you'd say, to see him come on in the game against Croatia. They brought Anthony on instead. Um, Are you trying to force some some Gabriel Martinelli propaganda on me, Sam? Is that what's going on here? Another name that I would like to throw into the mix of why didn't of the 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 this week's edition of why didn't they come on would be Bruno Guimaraes or Bruno Guimaraes maybe I'm not too sure how to say that because he came on he played and scored right did he he did something. He did something in a previous game. He came on and impressed at the very least. Uh, but but this game, nope, nothing. nothing to... Okay, I'm yeah. going to go back to my list. Because uh, Adrian Rabio is in seventh most touches in the opposition box. So that ties in with what I was saying earlier about him uh, making those late runs. Um, mm-hmm. what, really, what really stood out is that there was a lot of Brazil players on this list. So you've got Rafinha with 22 and Vinicius Junior with 17. So... It is a bit disappointing how their attack has seemingly dropped off. But then to go back to Croatia, uh, Ivan Perisic is in third with 24. So you're telling me Perisic is third? Yes. I didn't know if he had anything interesting. Because that just seems baffling for, for... Like, Croatia aren't... Croatia are great, but they're slow and steady, and they're solid, and they're... You know what I mean? It's, it's how I see them, anyway. They're not, they're not this team that is going to dominate high up the pitch in in my eyes it's not some like you know what I credit to with with high touches in the opposition box is a team that's playing this sort of 2-3-5 in in possession high pressing as well so that teams can't get out and they're suffocating teams sort of Pep Guardiola model and that's why they're they've got so many touches in and around the box but that's not something I would associate with Croatia. Do you want to guess who the top two were for touches in the opposition box? And this is whole World whole Cup, World yeah? Cup, but before the quarterfinals. Well, Perisic is 24. The person in two okay. goes up to 30. The per- because I'd, I feel like Messi should be up the list, but then could he just always be in and around the box and outside of it? Um, but everything... Argentina just passed to Messi. So I'd like to say... Messi. Messi's in the Messi's in second. Messi has thirty. Okay, okay, and then. Do you top... know how many touches? Forty-six. Yeah. Maybe it's Olivier Giroud. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll go with Richarlison. No. Kylian Mbappe. Okay. Is top. Okay. A long way. Okay. So, pro- probable. Uh, he's the front runner for the player of the tournament, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, in terms of sparks and players who ignite stadiums, it's 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 Messi and Mbappe in this tournament. Who every time they touch the ball, it's sort of the electric 
courses through and and everyone gets excited and and you really believe that anything can happen yeah um, but uh it's between those two i suppose we'll see who lifts the lifts the trophy just just a quick shout out to all of those players because uh i like a lot of them and they're getting in the box a lot keep hey i like the shout out sam uh and you know what i'd like to add to that keep on getting in the box keep on getting in the box because oh, yeah. it makes for entertaining football Keep on getting in the box, Adrian Rabio, if you're listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That I like. That I really like. Did you watch any other games? Argentina Netherlands. Did I watch that? Uh, yes, I did because I watched the La Hoz Masterclass. Sam, uh, uh, I watched the Argentina Netherlands game uh, on on demand. I watched it on. The Tuesday after it happened, I went only the ninety minutes because it was quite long. This is the kind of spectacle that Lahoz brings to the table. Whenever, right? You know when you go on iPlayer or you go on whatever demand app you're using, and it always goes watch from the start, and that makes sense for most most shows out there in the yes. world. But it always just it always irritates me that that yes. comes up when the football's on you know if i'm like two minutes late to yep. kick off or if or if i'm just watching it but it's it's the build-up or whatever like like you have to watch 30 minutes of gary lineker in the studio before you can appreciate the the football to come yeah like i i just think it's it's i don't know that's just me finding it weird and funny that they actually have that there of course they have that there it'd be, it'd be more work to get rid of that just for football right but i just love the idea of sitting down at like 7 50 and being like well i missed the first 50 minutes i'm not gonna look at any updates on my phone i'll just watch it from the start and just see it in my own time i would do it if it was 15 minutes because then you get to skip through the uh the halftime stuff the halftime break oh you're you're a genius you're a guy who's 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 not a novice with uh, recording shows? I, there, I can that ahead. Um, do you have anything to say about Argentina Netherlands? You know what my thing is about refs who sprint up to things. That just that just adds to the to that adds fuel to the fire in my eyes. You just want them to walk. All right. If you start sprinting into the into the middle of just like a fifty fifty tackle that you're not happy with, but it's all fine really and you just charge in and he's like proper tooting away on his whistle like seven seven toots you know it's just i, I just think that escalates everything yeah Look. yeah i don't think that helps that's not a calming influence i don't think lahoz is a calming influence and i think i think the teams were trying to get away with a lot, but look, it's a high-pressure environment where the tiniest margin gets you an edge, and you need to be in the ref's ear constantly to try and, you know, get an edge. But him just charging around, blowing his whistle in everyone's face and, and getting in everyone's face and, and and performing, essentially, I don't think that... I don't think that helps things, <laughs> is my calm take. Okay. Um, yeah, I I like the Netherlands. I quite enjoyed seeing Wout Weghorst just sort of come on for about ten minutes and do everything. Um, really interesting free kick as well, actually, to equalise it because uh, I was thinking, yeah, like, why really aren't nice. you bringing the goalkeeper up for this free kick? It was ten minutes, ten minutes of stoppage time, and ten minutes had passed, and you're not really going to get a better opportunity than a free kick on the edge of the box. So. 
just bring the goalkeeper up was what I was saying. You know, he's really tall, isn't he, as well? Um, also, regardless, why wouldn't you just bring him up for added deception? Right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. But then... If, if you bring... And, and also more numbers to take away from White Weghorst. Don't get me wrong. They nail it. It's all great. Happy days. It's all fine in the end. But imagine you... you imagine you're the opposition. You see the keeper coming up. There's no doubt at all that they're swinging this into the box. Weghorst actually does really well. Like, that is what you have Weghorst for because uh, he's strong enough to to hold someone off and he has the frame he has the frame and he uses the frame well that's 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 for sure um argentina in general have i mean obviously i said to you a couple of weeks ago you know it's better to be a slow burner it's better to start slow and and play your best football towards the end they're definitely playing their best football towards the end of the tournament and it's better to lose your first game than your last game in a world cup that's for sure um, it, it it it's I, I like I like the Netherlands. I think uh, it was quite a fun team, and they were pretty pretty solid, but not too. They were quite efficient, you know, and they sort of scored at at the right times throughout the tournament. Um, it does seem written in the stars, though, for Argentina and Messi a little bit at least. Um, yeah, it was interesting when I was watching this game on the Tuesday after it happened um, because you had Jonathan Pierce on commentary who was talking about if it's written in the stars for Messi and then he was saying England will hope not and then obviously England don't even get the chance to play Argentina. Yeah. I just... Another awkward commentary moment. It's been a bad week for commentary, I'm going to say. Or maybe it's just always like this and it's lower stakes. Well, also all the wag, all the Weghorst, you know. I reckon he made fools out of a lot of people, or a lot of Twitter, a lot of tweets. Anyway, people saying you need you need a goal. You're yeah, exactly. They, um, because he was for Depay. Um, Depay went off and Weghorst came on. There were many questions asked. And yeah. Van Hal has done it again. He loves a good sub. Comes up trumps, hey? He comes up trumps. Old LVG. He knows what he's doing. Um, what would be your what would be your dream final now that England are out? You know, can't lift the trophy anyway. Can't have a national holiday. Yeah. Dream final, Sam. Hit me. Do you go for an underdog in there, or do you go for just uh, a, a titan? I want a rematch of France Croatia, please. Well, you must be the only person in the world wanting a France Croatia rematch. <laughs> well. well well, as much as I would like, it was a good game to see. It was a good game at the last World Cup, wasn't it? It was four two. Yeah, it was, but it only comes around every four years, Sam. If you start asking for the same final, it's only happened. You could watch the Messi. It could be the Messi versus Mbappe final. It could be Morocco versus Croatia. Croatia. It could be Morocco versus Argentina. I like France, and I'm not drawn to Argentina. I prefer Croatia to Argentina. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Yeah. The only one I like is Alexis yeah. McAllister. Really, he's the main main attraction at Argentina for me. Really, he's pretty cool. I mean, that's fair pretty enough. Cool. That's fair <laughs> enough. Not Messi. Yeah, Messi. You know, Messi. He's been around a while, hasn't he? Water's wet and all that. You know. Uh, what What's your choice? Are you going Argentina, France? Right. Well, 
I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I can see your point with the with the France Croatia, but I think France Argentina. I would I would quite like to see. I mean, you, yeah, you do kind of want to see how these big teams fare up because, like, like we've spoken about a lot, you don't often get to see meaningful games between top sides and just sort of getting that barometer of uh, how good each side is. Well, what I was going to say as well is that no team left in there is like extremist on the positional play front, right? Brazil were playing this like open, expansive sort of European style with, you know, under Chiche, but with with um, Brazilian flair in, in attacking positions mixed in there. Spain were blowing teams away with this, you know, these two eights in Pedri and Gavi, but also like these wingers that were hugging the touchline. Um, and, you know, it was very wide and expansive and, and, and that. And then you also had like even Portugal in this like very probably ball... Well... Portugal are interesting one because really the coach wants to be quite, you know, sufferable, Deschamps, Southgate-esque. But really, you know, the players that he had in the team, he, they were being very attacking as well and, and blowing teams away. Now, you look at France, OK, they've got the talent to, to dominate the ball. But as we saw against England, they're pretty happy to not have it and just hit teams on the break. You look at Morocco, they're certainly happy to, you know, defend rigidly and hit teams on the break. Um, you look at Croatia, they can, uh, you know, they've, of, of all the teams, they've probably got the, the most ball-orientated midfield that can keep it and be pressure-resistant, but they're not always sort of like looking to be suffocating teams high up the pitch. They can recycle the ball very well with their midfield and things, but they're not, they're not, they're not this massively open and attacking team are they um with, with the, you know especially if you look at the forward line there's no one that really blows you away there unless i'm just being naive and then argentina i mean they switched to a three five uh, well back five against the netherlands to match them up they, they've not got a sort of style or, or blueprint that they're enforcing upon other teams so i think Maybe something's interesting there. I don't know. You know, this is international football and I'd close on, could Pep Guardiola really do it? Well, I mean, that's quite a classic Top Gear bombshell to end on, I think. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I think it is. We'll pick that up next week. Um, Well, very excited to see these two semifinals. Uh, Toby, I I will see you this time next week. We will see who is in the final of the 2022 World Cup. We we sure will. And I think uh, we can all agree that that will be the uh, the most pressing of matters. It's the big one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.